Greetings in the name of the Lord. Welcome. Grace be with you. Peace. Shalom. Whatever greeting works. I am Cullen Cressman, and this is my attempt at a podcast. Welcome, welcome to the first episode of Breaking Theology, and we're going to talk about James chapter 1 today, and we are going to be jumping into the Word of God. The goal here is for God's Word to challenge us, for us to reflect on it. The idea of this podcast is Jesus said in Matthew that the stone that the builders rejected, talking about himself, that that prophecy If we fall on it, we will be broken. But if it falls on us, we'll be crushed. And that's why Peter uses the same uh, passage that he refers to. And that is a a rock of stumbling and offense for some. So what we want to do in this podcast is to let the word of God challenge us in a way that it breaks down our preconceived ideas. And we just want the word of God to speak to us so that when we live out our theology... It can be the right thing. It can be, as Jeremiah said, fire shut in our bones, that it is breaking forth. It is coming out of us in everything that we do. So to James chapter 1. Let's get some preliminary things out of the way. And this will be simultaneously some some lessons in and how you can read the Bible better. Um, why some some nerdy things are important, uh, and I like to refer to those things. I don't think that theology should be uh, something that's so high in an ivory tower, but it's got a lot of good things for us to give us a good perspective. First, James, most scholars agree, James is written by James, the brother of Jesus. One reason for that is because for him to not have a secondary name uh, to, to follow up, that it's just James and that the church accepted that James. It's most likely a very uh, prominent James within the church community. And so this is going to be the same James that Paul talks about in Galatians. It's going to be the same James uh, that you find in Acts chapter 15. And uh, that is the brother of Jesus. He was a, a leader in the church in Jerusalem. Another fun fact before we get into um, this the scriptures is that this is possibly the earliest New Testament document that was written. So this would be the first thing, you know, when you're you're thinking about scripture and letters and stuff like that, we think of Paul a lot because he wrote a lot. We think of the Gospels because they're, they're large and they hold the story of Jesus. But James could possibly be uh, the earliest, definitely one of the earliest New Testament documents that was circulated around the church. And so this is going to be early information. This is what the church was going to encounter first. So this is, uh, you know, if you think of a movement starting, a a new thing starting, James is kind of the, the first voice, the first written mouthpiece that is going to go out to the churches. And so we'll just dive right in with that in your minds. This is Uh, He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Okay, so dispersion is talking about um, with with the Israelites being passed back and forth with empires. The Jewish people were now dispersed 
across all of the world. And that's why in Acts chapter 2, you have all of them coming together for a festival, but then they all go back out. So they receive the gift of the Spirit, and then they go back out into all of the world, and so they are dispersed. And uh, the reference to the 12 tribes is, uh, some will say that it is uh, just talking about Jewish Christians. I think that's definitely... uh, In the mind of James, but I think it can be more inclusive than that. The 12 tribes would be more of a a colloquial term, an idea of them saying, this is for all of the church. This is for everybody, all believers, because the 12 tribes would be the the full covenant people of God. And so I think that it's fair to use that as more inclusive of James saying to all the church, to all the Christians spread abroad, to all those that have been dispersed. Another point that we might can date the book of James is that this dispersion, uh, like I said, Acts chapter 2, but also after the death of Stephen in Acts, the church spread out even more. And so they went out because of persecution, and I think that's also what is in mind here. So let's dig into what he has to say to the church, to everybody, to us. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I'm not going to read every verse of the chapter. I'll, I'll let you uh, pick that up. You can read the Bible and go along and you can fact check me. You can find out if, if you agree or not. But I want to start here. This is the the intro of what's going to happen uh, throughout James. James is a very interesting book because uh, sometimes it seems disjointed. But I'm going to start here with these passages, and I'm going to make an argument that James is not disjointed. Uh, Some argue that he is so disjointed that he's actually probably a collection of Proverbs. And I do think that he has a lot in common with wisdom literature in the Old Testament. I think that is true. He definitely has uh, some to say about wisdom, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And I think that he fits into that genre, like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, a little bit of Psalms, that kind of stuff. But I also think that James is not as disjointed as some have said, and I believe that the letter of James is a sermon rather than a collection of Christian teaching. And so I think that he has a sermon in mind, he has a point, and I'm going to talk about how this opening is like the introduction to a sermon you would hear. An introduction, he's going to cover some main points, and then he'll get into the depth of his argument going into chapter 2. And so this is the opening, and that should give us an idea of what his goal is, what he's wanting to say. So uh, when you meet trials... That's something to pay attention to. Trials of various kinds. And then uh, testing of your faith. And I'm reading from the ESV right now, and I I prefer this translation because it says it produces steadfastness. The reason I prefer that translation, steadfastness, is because it's more than just producing uh, patience. Sometimes we could get lost in thinking that, okay, well, patience, you know, yeah, so when I go through all kinds of hard times, this is more involved than just saying, well, you know, 
God put that person in my life so that I could learn to be patient. God put me in this traffic jam so that I could learn to be patient. God, you know, those are not the trials we're talking about. This early church is going into persecution. Remember, Stephen just got killed. Um, This, what trials they're talking about, the steadfastness is more of an idea of resoluteness. This has more of eternity in mind than just simple patience. That this steadfastness is going to pull us through to the coming of Jesus. That when we go through trials, when our faith is genuinely tested, it's refining us. That's the testing. Refining. And when the Bible talks about testing, it's not the way that we think of it in modern times. Testing is is refining. And so it's going to build in us the steadfastness that we need, the determination that we need to make it for Jesus' coming. And so the reason I say that is that we're going to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When are we going to be perfect? It's not going to be anytime soon with all these different things. We are not going to be perfect until we're with Jesus. So he says, if any of you lacks wisdom... And I love this, and this is where I'm just going to throw it all out there. I'll give it to you. Sorry. Anybody who disagrees with me, I'm, I'm not bothered by it. And I will tell you right now, all cards on the table. I am a oneness Pentecostal for those who are listening. I believe in the new birth. I believe that speaking in tongues is the sign of being baptized with the Spirit. And I believe that it is for every believer. And here... Uh, I don't have the time to get into it, but I would love to if anybody is interested. Wisdom literature has a lot to say about the wisdom of God and wisdom is personified. And I think James is is pulling from that, that tradition, that idea that wisdom is personified. And it sounds a lot like being filled with the Spirit. When you think of wisdom, uh, of wisdom as something that you ask God for, that you are... Um, being filled with the Spirit. So think about that when I read this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. A person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, if this is true, a number of you asked about um, the, the doubting and the faith. And I'm, why I said I'm putting all my cards on the table is I want to make the point that I believe that James, this introduction is really focused a lot on the new birth, on people's salvation, the steadfastness till Jesus comes. And then he says, you want to know how to make it to that time? You want to know how to be steadfast? You need to be filled with the wisdom, be filled with the spirit that God is giving generously to everybody. But you can't ask that in doubt, but you must have faith. So again, we're not talking about a a lower level type of thing. It's not, uh, well, I may have a little bit of doubts here and there. I may have a little bit of faith, a lot of faith. We're talking about faith in salvation, faith that God is going to be just, that God is going to come. And then, uh, he talks about some practical things. He talks about arrogance. So there, when we talk about doubt and uh, doubt and faith, we're also here talking about arrogance. And it's not simply um, the lowly and the the those that are high up. We're not talking simply about money, though James will talk about that. 
it's not just about finances that the poor and the rich. He's talking about uh, the those that are arrogant. You should you should be thankful because this is to the church. He's talking to the to the church, saying that if you are uh, blessed, if you are taken care of, you're not one of the lowly, but you're taken care of. He says that you should be happy. You should celebrate in your humiliation. Because again, this is tied to that opening thing of steadfastness. Be thankful that God is refining you, bringing you to that point. And now here's where I think that um, he, he's coming back to the point, And I think this is why there's not so much disjointedness within James. He says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Okay, that is, uh, again, one of the reasons I think is a, a connecting point. This is why I would say this is, this is about the new birth. James is here giving an introduction to his letter that we're talking to believers, and we are saying, God, give us your spirit. Give it, uh, give it to us so that we can withstand these trials that are facing the church, withstand the, the things that the enemy is, is throwing at us. This is about making it to eternity. This is, yes, about the day-to-day, but this is about how those day-to-day trials, this is how those moments that are truly refining us are going to bring us to salvation. It's not simply about uh, making us happy. It's not about making us uh, have a, a, a wonderful, fluffy life that, oh, well, I have so much patience now that I can have joy in life every day. This is about eternity, that he is going to be refining us, but... Here, understand, this is where James gets down to the nitty-gritty that we don't like to talk about. God has promised the crown of life to all of those who love him. And so this refining, this testing is not temptation, but the refining is opportunity for you. You have to understand that this is not a temptation. God is not going to talk about a, uh, God is not going to give you things that are going to tempt you to forsake him. And if you feel that you're being tempted to forsake him, then you know, this is what James is making the point, is you know that if you're receiving that temptation, there's only two options. It's from the devil or it's from yourself. And a lot of times those those two uh, coincide with one another. But it is not from God. If you are tempted, don't say that I'm being tempted by God. He's not going to tempt you with evil. And he does this really cool connection with with uh, the idea of birth, which sounds a lot like Paul and Romans. But he says that uh, the, the part that we don't like to admit to is that we are tempted based on our own desires. It's not a random temptation. It's not uh, it's it's not us. You know, everything in the world tempts us. We are tempted. The enemy knows what they're doing. And when they begin to tempt us, it's based on the things we need to work on ourselves to combat those temptations. But that desire, when it is conceived, so he has this idea of birth. Remember, I've already mentioned the new birth. But when that desire is birthed, it, it, when it's full grown, it's going to bring forth death, not life. And now, uh, this section, I believe, is very important, verses 16 through 18. And I don't believe, so in my Bible, there's a, a, a header that separates verse 18 from 19. I don't agree with that. I think they flow right in uh, 
verse 16, 17, 18, I think they're all connected with 19 through 25. And so I want to explain that to you. Remember, he already accused, he already, he already made the hard statement that you are being tempted based on your own desires. So don't blame God for that. It's based on your own corrupt thinking. But then he says, beloved brothers, don't be deceived. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And now the Father of lights is a, a common uh, Jewish reference to, to God, and you can find it, uh, John the Baptist uses it, you can find it in the Old Testament, but it's really talking about uh, the Father of lights, meaning the one who created the stars, uh, the lights, the Father of above, the, the one that created the world. So he says, we know that perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation, there is no change. Okay, so this is a contrast between us and God. He's consistent. He is steadfast. He is not going to change. We're the ones that are uh, tempted by our own desires. We're the ones that if we are deceived, will bring forth death in our lives. But what is, this is what I want to scratch my head on and ask, is what is that perfect gift? Every perfect gift. And uh, he says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, I believe that this is referring to uh, stage one in creation. What is the core of all of, of God's relationship with humanity? Free will. And I believe that that starting point of free will is uh, it feeds into the word of truth. It feeds into the first fruits idea. It feeds into the new birth. And it is also the one gift, but becomes a multitude of gifts. That's the perfect gift. That we are created with free will. We are created in his image. We are created as those special beings within his creation. And that's important because that's what gives us the ability to choose him or to choose the temptations that we are being challenged with. Okay, so he brought us forth by the word of truth. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And so this is why I, I again, am and connecting this with the starting point of free will, but it feeds in and it, it grows into everything. God's relationship with us is based on him wanting us to be in relationship. He's not going to force us. We're not robots. Uh, as my good friend David Norris says, we're not chatty Kathy dolls. Um, he has this implanted word, this implanted word of truth that's going to save our souls, that we choose him. We choose to be in covenant with him. And when we choose him, that means we are simultaneously denying those temptations. We are simultaneously being uh, refined. We are becoming steadfast so that we're more like him, the one who doesn't change. We're using this gift he gave us to become like him. And then he gets right down to it. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror and then walks away, forgets what he looks like. Okay, 
And he looks, we should look into the perfect law of liberty and we should be doers. We should be ones who hear and then perform. Okay, so I want to explain this real fast. In today's society, we're consumed with our self-image. We're consumed with selfies. We're consumed with taking pictures of ourselves. And so this can sometimes seem weird, but think back in the in the ancient world. This is, um, they don't have mirrors all over the place. And so it may be a good chunk of time between when you saw yourself in a mirror last, when you saw your reflection in something, you might could look at it in water or different things like that where you'd find a natural um, reflection off of something, but this is not, they didn't have hand mirrors. They didn't have cameras where they could look at themselves all the time. And so what James is saying here, this is like somebody who saw themselves, they know what they look like, and then they walk away and immediately forget about what they, what they saw. Okay. So that could be like, you know, you, you walk, you look in the mirror and you see, oh my gosh, I have a massive zit on my face. And then you're out in the public and you forgot that you had that zit on your face and everybody is staring at you and you're like, why in the world are they staring at me? What is going on? You forgot what you saw in the mirror earlier. Now, that's just a clever illustration, just me being funny. But this is the kind of thing James is talking about. When we get confronted by the word of truth, when we get confronted and we hear that word, we are challenged to face temptation and to Tell it no to strike it down and we are supposed to do it in pursuit of the righteousness of God. We're supposed to forsake those things of the world and be like him. That's why we want the wisdom of God. That's why we want the spirit of God. But when we cast those things down, we hear the word of God and we hear what we're supposed to do and then we walk away and we forgot the conviction we felt. We're all guilty of this. You may have been in an altar call and you were right there confronted with the changes you needed to make in your life. You were confronted, your collar was flipped up. You saw in the mirror, your collar was flipped up and you didn't turn it down when you walked away from the mirror. You were confronted by the word of God and then you walked away and forgot what the challenge was. Uh, James is saying here, we need to be doers of the word. We need to remember what we were challenged with what we saw when the word of God challenged us and then apply that. And this is the introduction. So I'm going to stop right here. This is where I believe the natural break is. I believe this is the cutoff for the sermon. And this is his introduction. He just covered important pieces. This letter is to the church and it's going to be for withstanding temptation. It's going to be about being steadfast with Jesus in view. We have to combat temptation, and we're talking about real temptation to forsake the truth. And we get to make those decisions based on our free will, that unchanging gift from God to choose him or to choose our own desires. And and when we choose him, we can't just choose him with lip service. We have to choose him and remember what we saw in the mirror and become doers. We must put it to action. And so... I believe this is his opening challenge to the church when he writes. And then he gets down to the nitty gritty and he starts making his first point in his sermon. And that's where I believe chapter 26 comes in. And so in the next episode, we will start talking about chapter 2, but we'll pick up on chapter 1 verse 26. So for those who were hoping that I was going to talk about religion versus relationship, I am going to. 
and I will just give you a little precursor here. I believe they're one in the same. They should not be separated as is popular to say today. But that will take place in our next episode of chapter two of James. This is Breaking Theology with Cullen Cressman.